Hello and welcome back, guys. Um, kind of shocked it's February. Um, and uh, apologize for having a brief little absence. Absence there. Um, essentially, uh, the flu bug uh, blows, um, and I just couldn't miss another week. So I'm really sorry if I sound like crap or I'm constantly sniffling throughout this one. But hopefully, uh, we'll get through it quick. And um, yeah, because it's pretty exciting topics, and I'm really shocked I haven't covered this one before. This has got to be one of the first films that really got me into the horror uh, genre um, and definitely one of the first ones I snuck into. Um, but uh, before we dive into that, um, of course, February, Happy Women in Horror Month. Um, everybody, every time this comes around, it's a pretty big deal for me. Um, just, you know, it's it's a genre that's very, um, you know, underrepresented considering a majority of its audience is female. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really hope that a lot more women are willing to take the plunge and get out there and, you know, make that art that you see, whatever it may be, be it a painting, a book, a picture this month is for us to celebrate the gory, macabre part of life. And I just, I absolutely love it. So, um, for everybody, I always like to challenge you take this month and watch at least one film directed by a woman. Um, you know, you'll be really shocked to find that you've kind of opened Pandora's box. Um, and you know, discovered that a lot of our favorites were directed by women. Um, and I'm really sad to admit that I'm not starting February off with a woman director behind the chair, but we are starting off with um, a pretty fantastic duo, uh, if I do say so myself. So without further ado. That's right, guys. We're going to play a little game and talk about the one, the only Saw. Um, you know, this film really, 
really changed things. And I mean, technically it's one of the few that, you know, people argue created the torture porn genre, but we'll get into that in a bit. I kind of disagree with that term. I just, the films, we'll get into it, but essentially, um, this film, I'm just honestly shocked I haven't done it sooner. I just think the world of James Wan and uh, Lee Wan L, uh, both out of Australia, and just talk about a grassroots, really raw idea that, you know what, they basically created a, 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 a horror icon of Jigsaw um, and Billy the Doll that sit on the same shelf as Freddy, Jason, um, you know, uh, Chucky, all of our horror icons. Um, and I don't know, I one day would love to do that myself. It's just, it, it's so cool. Um, and I remember the first time seeing this film, I'll admit I was 13 at the time or yeah, yeah. Give or take 13 and definitely sneaking into this film with my friends. I remember having to get my parents to buy me the ticket and the ticket person honestly didn't care at that point. I had the ticket, so let us in. Um, and I just remember once the credits started rolling, thinking again, started again, I need to see this because at that point you start kind of putting the pieces together and we'll, we'll start, um, we'll get into that a little bit, but, um, essentially, you know, this was part of their, their magic and, uh, truly their pierre de resistance. Um, when it comes to what made Saul really memorable for me. And that was this twist ending of, you know, if you put these pieces together that were shown to you throughout the film, you can solve it long before the actual ending. Uh, pardon me. Um, and so uh, diving into it, um, of course, if you don't know, it's a 2004 American horror film directed by James Wan. And uh, this was his directorial debut and starring uh, Carrie um, Elves, Lee Wan L, Danny Glover, Monica Potter, Michael Emerson, Ken Lung, and uh, of course, Tobin Bell. Um, so essentially, we, we, you know, we basically pick up with just two men waking up to find themselves chained on opposite sides um, to the wall in this dirty, decrepit bathroom. Um, but between them is a dead body, um, literally in its own blood, just laying there. And they have no clue how they got there. Essentially, they just wake up to find themselves there. Um, and as the plot unravels, we just discover they need to kill each other or essentially... It, uh, <clears throat> essentially, um, Carrie's family is going to die. So it's a pretty interesting story. Very, very simple. But it's, it's so um, captivating once the uh, the screen starts. <sniffs> Again, pardon me. Uh, so written in 2001, um, but failed many times uh, to get the script produced um, in, in their home uh, country of Australia. And essentially at that point, they were urged to travel to Los Angeles, where essentially they were given the budget. We'd see actually a whole new genre production label called Twisted Pictures come out. Um, and uh, from there, the filming began. <clears throat> so diving into it. Essentially, like I said, plot line, got two guys chained in a bathroom, no clue what put them there. And essentially, as they kind of piece together everything, they start to unravel some clues. So they discover the, the micro cassettes, um, you know, they discover there was a revolver um, 
in the corpse's hand. Um, you know, they hear the tapes about the plan, what they have to do. And essentially at this point, um, that's when they discover the jigsaws or the hacksaws and discover that essentially they need to, uh, not hack through their chains, but through their feet. And it's at this point that they realize that they are essentially victims of the famous jigsaw killer who Lawrence, uh, Carrie's character, knows because he was once a suspect. So we kind of go through these flashback scenes. Uh, Lawrence discussing the brain cancer of the terminal patient, John Kramer, who we will come to find out is our... He's a list of things. He's our philosopher, our trickster. He's a mechanical engineer, an architect, and a master of special effects. A magician, in a way, because essentially what you see with John isn't what you get. Um, and that's throughout this entire film, right up to the very end when he stands up. Um, you know, you did not see that coming. And any of you that tell me you did the first time, you are liars. You were obviously told something that I wasn't. Um, but as I was saying, you know, we start going through these flashbacks. Um, you know, we see John Kramer. We see the detectives um, tap and sing, interviewing Lawrence, um, you know, kind of getting a whole story about what's going on. And then, of course, we're introduced to Amanda Young, um, one of Jigsaw's uh, survivors um, and essentially a heroin addict who just barely escaped and one heroin escape. And we'll talk a little bit about her game, for lack of a better word, uh, her setup, as this um, was used to essentially get the funding for this entire film. So flashback to the present, we see that Lawrence's wife and daughter, Allison and Diana, are being held captive within their home. And um, at the same time, Adam and Lawrence are being watched by their captor. Um, at this time, we have no clue, of course, who that is. And uh, kind of as Adam and Lawrence are kind of discussing and trying to figure out what they need to do. Um, you know, they're essentially, uh, we see that, um, we kind of get, blah. sorry, I'm all over the place here. Obviously the cold meds are kicking in, but, um, so Tap obviously has become obsessed with this whole case and he thinks that Lawrence is the person behind it. So he's kind of investigating, uh, Alice and Diana, Allison and Diana. So we get this kind of weird flash as we see, um, Zep in the window, and then it flashes over to uh, Tap, kind of, you know, going over his notes and muttering to himself. And it's at this point that we notice Tap's throat has kind of got this um, scar on it, and we get this flashback of how Tap cut his throat, um, Singh being killed by a quadruple shotgun trap while pursuing the uh, the jigsaw killer. So. Whew flashback we're into the bathroom present day and Lawrence finds a box containing two cigarettes a lighter and a one-way cell phone um and this is when the boys boys this is when Adam and Lawrence start to essentially um reminisce and discover their abduction stories and they both realize that they were attacked by the same pig fast pig mask figure so it's at this point that Allison calls Lawrence at gunpoint and tells him not to trust Adam he's the one that's been told to take photos and it's at this point that we realize that Adam's been taking photos for tap um and through these photos you see that Zepp is in one of the pictures so um kind of this neat tie around and that's when Lawrence sort of identifies uh essentially tap the uh, cop investigating him who's borderline harassment um and essentially he sees zepp one of the orderlies from the hospital but 
At this point, the clock strikes six, and Zepp moves in to kill Allison and Diana. At this point, though, Allison manages to free herself, fights Zepp for the gun, and uh, calls Lawrence. The struggle, of course, gets Tap's attention, who rushes in to save Allison and Diana, and chases Zepp to the sewers, where, of course, he's eventually shot in the chest after a brief struggle. Uh, Lawrence, aware of only shotguns and screaming, is electrically shocked as well and loses reach of the cell phone. In desperation, he saws off his foot and shoots Adam with the corpse's revolver. Zepp, of course, after killing um, Tap, rushes into the bathroom to try to kill Lawrence because it's quote-unquote the rules, but Adam, who'd only suffered a flesh wound, overpowers Zepp and bludgeons him to death with the toilet tank lid. As Lawrence crawls out of the room to find help, Adam searches Zepp's body for a key and finds yet another microset recorder, which reveals that Zepp was another victim following the rules in order to obtain an antidote for a slow-acting poison in his body. As the tape ends, the corpse rises from the center of the room and it's revealed that Lawrence's patient, John Kramer, is the real jigsaw. And he reveals he reveals that the key to Adam's chain was in the bath when he woke up, which of course sadly went down the drain as Adam's foot kind of pulls the plug. Adam attempts to shoot John with Zepp's gun, but John activates a remote control, shocking Adam. John then shuts off the lights and yells, game over, before sealing the door and leaving Adam to die. So um, really intense plot when you boil down those last like 10 minutes. It's crazy like plot turnover, but... One hell of a ride. So earlier we'd mentioned the cast, a few others that I have neglected to mention, but very small cast comes together to make one hell of a story. Um, And if you guys haven't seen it, I highly recommend you get off your asses and go check this out. So as I said, um, James and Lee were both friends in um, direct director school, film school. Um, And essentially the two of them got together together and over their mutual interest of horror and decided at this point they were going to write and fund a film. So, you know, they were really inspired by the low budget independent films like Blair Witch, another one, uh, Darren Aronofsky's Pie. Um, and basically the two of them kind of thought about a script um, that could involve two actors and how to do it in the cheapest way involving two actors in one room. So kind of starts going back and forth over different things and... Um, Essentially, that's when Juan came up with the idea about two men being chained to an opposite side of a bathroom with a dead body in the middle. Um, at this point, I guess Juan L didn't really respond the way Juan wanted him to. Uh, and um, there's a quote that he says, I'll never forget that day. I remember hanging up the phone and started just going over it in my, in my head. And without any sort of long period of pondering, I opened my diary that I had I had at the time and wrote the word saw before instantaneously writing the word saw in a blood red dripping font the two had not come up with a title it was in those moments that made me aware that some things are really meant to be some things are just waiting there to be discovered um so true so true and honestly great words to live by so um the character jigsaw kind of came to them later um i guess when i was working at a job that was really unhappy with and it started giving him migraines which convinced him he had a brain tumor so he went to a neurologist to have an mri and while sitting nervously in the waiting room he thought what if he was given the news he had had a he had a tumor and he was going to die soon how could you react to that he imagined the character jigsaw having been given one or two years to live and combine the idea of Jigsaw putting others in a literal version of the situation, but only giving them a few minutes to choose their fate. Um, so they 
of course, as I said, they did not intend to make torture, uh, torture porn. Um, to me, that's a snuff film. It's, it's when something has a, or honestly, the later sequels of Saw, this one has more substance and more of a plot line to it. So I really don't feel that it fits the torture porn definition. Um, honestly, I do have some issues with that definition because the films that people love to sack in under that, headline essentially are are dealing with a much darker topic so that's why you have to show such gruesome imagery um i mean realistically saw hostile we're all looking at these films coming out post 9-11 um and this really shook the audience's you know viewing uh habits i mean we had seen worse things in real life. So essentially in hostels, a really good example of this, of like real life, you know, torture. Yeah. Americans were actually torturing people at the time. So it's, that's why I have kind of an issue with this definition because it's, or I should say this term, because the definition is so pointless. I don't I just don't know. It's just, this is just another realm of, the horror genre limit it's a lot more advanced but sometimes you need that little bit to to just really tell the story but of course to me a torture porn film will always be those that mimic that of a snuff film that really have no substance no story and it's just literally continuous nothing but gore um that doesn't make sense and to me that is you know unnecessary but something like this hostile hell even cannibal holocaust they're all trying to tell us something a lot darker so always keep that in mind when you're watching a film that's been dubbed torture porn there's actually usually a pretty significant historical event that happened just a few years before that basically changed the audience's uh, viewing habits so back to Saw, um, funding was really hard for these guys to come around. So initially they thought eh, it'd be about $30,000, um, but essentially got putting the script together and realized they were going to need a hell of a lot more money. So um, they optioned with a producer in Sydney, but of course the deal fell through. Um, and after a few more failed attempts between 2001 to 2002, pardon me, uh, the, essentially they were told by their literary agent, Gen Greenblatt, uh, you know, travel Los Angeles. This is where you're going to find a studio that'll be actually interested in funding this. So they were a little apprehensive, but fuck it. They decided to go. And it's at this point that, um, 1L provided $5,000 of his own money to make a seven minute short film, essentially thinking, if we can sort of trap them in on this film or this little snap of the film, it'll make them more interested in actually seeing the whole story. And this would be that scene I talked about earlier of Amanda, the reverse bear trap. Um, of course, with Winnell playing the main character wearing the reverse bear trap, um, you know, they had some friends working at the Broadcasting Corporation, filmed this little tiny short and started mailing that off. Um, shipped it off with along with the script and essentially it was just like hook, line and sinker. Once you watched it, you know, people seemed to just be in love with it. And that's when they were essentially um, met in Los Angeles with the producer Greg Hoffman, whose friend pulled them into an office, showed him the short and said about two or three minutes into it, 
my jaw hit the floor. He quickly showed the short to um, Enscript partners Mark Berg and Oren Quals of Evolution Entertainment, which would film Twisted Pictures, a horror genre production label, um, and essentially offered one and one L creative control and 25% of the net profits. Um, so going forward, we had Saw, and uh, essentially they were given um, a little over a million for the film itself, um, which is a really small budget when you think about it, like what they put together. So casting Carrie um, Ells, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I always find him funny. Um, he's just, I don't know, it, it will always be Robin Hood men in tights to me. Um, but apparently he's, you know, a very detailed actor actually went as far enough to study um, with a, uh, a doctor or oncologist in the in a department of neuro- neurosurgery. So um, Shonda Smith, Amanda, apparently not a horror film horror fan anyway, refused the role, c- calling the script horrific. But ho- however, after watching the short, agreed to take the role. So obviously, they must have done a really good job in that, and it just sink it just caught everybody. And of course, the role of Jigsaw Tobin. Tobin Bell, um, he's interesting. I mean, I find him throughout this to be like this weird Zen master of sadism. Um, he's there to kind of like just help people, you know, through this dark chapter in their lives and a very horrific way to do it. Um, but essentially he decided to do this because he thought um, it was a fascinating location for a film to be made. These guys locked in a room, and he's literally the center of the whole situation, um, literally and physic- physically, uh, or I should say metaphorically and physically. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't anticipate the ending in any way, shape, or form until you get there, and he said the exact same thing. So to be part of a surprise like that, he was totally willing um to do so. So filming began on September 22nd, 2003, um, and uh, essentially took only 18 days for them to do this. And the only set they had to build was the bathroom. I mean, Danny Glover, they plugged those out in two days. Um, and apparently that was due to his tight filming schedule. Um, but Juan could only afford to shoot, you know, a couple takes per actor. So they had to get it right. And that's just to do with the budget. They did not have the money to make more and more and more. So, and you know, this kind of muttered with Juan's approach to filming. He really wanted to make like a Hitchcock style. Um, but uh, essentially, you know, due to their short shooting schedules, this couldn't really happen. So they got more of a gritty, rough around the edges film, but it, it still works. Um, personally, I think it's mint, but what a neat take to see a jigsaw with like a Hitchcock feel. So um, I guess in post-production, Juan found they didn't have enough takes to really fill the film um, and just kind of fill between gaps. So they, that's where we see all these little edits of, um, you know, surveillance cameras, still cuts, um, all this sort of stuff. It's them just kind of filling in the blanks. And it so works. It's a real happy accident. Um, but I had no idea until I started kind of looking into things. So music, funny enough, took longer than the actual shooting. It took six weeks to complete um, and was done by Frontline Assembly. Um, and it really seems to nail this creaky, clammy score. Um, I mean, the... the uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the um, soundtrack, uh, the composer, um, Charlie Klauser. I mean, he seems to really understand that horror only works with a heady amount of camp, but he draws from the, sort of this industrial music in a way it's 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 truly unique so um lion gate would pick up saws worldwide uh, distribution and would premiere at tiff in 2004 um and they pre- 
planned to go direct to video, but due to the positive reaction at Sundance, uh, at this point, you know, chose to go with the full theatrical release at Halloween. And I'm so happy they did, because that's when I got to see it. And just as I said, um, no child under 17 was permitted to see this film, unless you snuck in. Um, and it was so worth it. But I guess through some re-editings, they would release with an R rating, um, which is too bad. I kind of wish I could see the original um, NC-17. So um, I guess... 2014, October 31st, They, in honor of the 10th anniversary, they did re-release it. And of course, for those of you that are Saw obsessed, you can watch two through, what, seven, eight? Even I don't even know how many there are. Um, it's kind of amazing how many of them they spit out shortly after. It was basically every year. You would see them. I basically lost faith, I think, after the 4th. Somewhere around there. So um, home media, it's at that point, guys. You can literally own this in digital, DVD, whatever you want. You could find it. And I didn't realize, I guess there's this kind of little 2005 mockumentary, um, pseudo documentary set in the Saw franchise called Full Disclosure Report. And it's kind of this little tie between Saw and Saw 2. So I've never seen that. I may have to check it out. And it does have Donnie Wahlberg. Um, yeah, pop it up as Eric Matthews. So it kind of helps tie everything together. So funny enough, um, this did really well at the box office considering what it was up against. It was up against Ray and The Grudge. Um, it, you know, basically in 2004, 18.2 million. That's huge for a horror film. Um, and on an exit poll, it was mostly a male audience of under 25 who basically saw it. Um, but uh, essentially, I was one of those. I'm proud to say that. But it's... Um, one of those films that essentially would end up doing so well um, and being basically um, becoming one of the most profitable horror films after screen. Uh, it, and that's just to do with how popular it was. But funny enough, the audience really enjoy it. But the film itself was the shittiest rating I've seen in a while. 49% um, based on 184 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So not very good. Um, essentially, the site's consensus reads that Saw is more than a na- is more than nasty enough for the genre junkie- junkies, but far too twisted, gory, and shallow for the more discerning horror fans. Essentially, you can't find a happy medium. But personally... I think it's very well done. And I think I've said that a billion times by now. So during my little kind of research, I found some things linking it to um, being very similar to Seven. I don't know what crack those people were smoking, but other than like kind of having a twist ending, this is in no way similar to Seven. Um, At least I don't see it. I mean, yeah, other than the twist ending thing at the end, but I have a feeling that any horror fan that you're going to pull from in the last two to three decades, you're going to feel that they have pulled from something you've seen in the last little while. So wrapping up, Saw itself, I mean, it really, to me, represents human nature in extreme circumstances. I mean, when you boil down to it, could you saw your leg off to save your family? Uh, it, it's, it's really one of those questions that even I don't know. I don't know if I'd be Lawrence, and I don't know if I'd be Adam. Uh, I kind of hope that Jigsaw would take pity on me, but either way, um, blew my mind, you know, of course, that there is no big budget to this because it feels like it does have a big budget and that just goes to show you what you can do with a great idea and just being creative. Um, 
I mean, essentially, you're left constantly questioning what's going to happen next with a huge twist ending. Like I said earlier, if you saw it coming, you're lying because I don't think anyone did. Um, And they really did truly have something here. Um, It's too bad that the story kind of has been muttered and muddled down by several of these kind of rehashes. Um, But, you know, essentially looking back at the original, it's brilliant. I mean, when that guy stands up at the end, you are literally screaming at the TV. I can't believe it. Um, and you, you know, you're, once you realize what's going on, you're yelling it at him the second time you watch it to grab the goddamn key before it goes down the drain. But, um, anyways, it's, you know, it, it, it says something about, you know, people are, are just truly, you know, they can go either way. And it just truly speaks to the resilience of, of, human being sometimes but it, it when he stands up and walks out with that game over it's one one hell of an ending <clears throat> now um i mean like i said they really had something here not only has there been several uh rehashes but i mean for those rick and morty fans we got to see uh, an episode totally dedicated to saw and the avengers which i absolutely love and of course um Always a good laugh. I, I don't know if anyone here has heard the theory that, of course, our Home Alone kid is a young John Kramer. If you haven't, I highly recommend checking it out. It's fucking hilarious and kind of spot on. Um, so uh, just quickly summarizing here. I'm sorry to keep rambling on. But you got to speak to the, the value of this film. Um, I mean, essentially, you have 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds saying things to... Uh, Tobin Bell, in, in an interview I saw with him saying, you know, uh, we, we saw your movie, it, uh, it, it taught us stuff. And, you know, Tobin, of course, being the constant inquisitor, asked, you know, what, what do you mean? What, what are you asking? And, of course, you know, you've got to appreciate your life. And essentially what Tobin, you know, really nicely wraps up is that, you know, they're not talking about the blood, the gore, they're talking about deep concepts that resonate. And and essentially, you know, it's teaching you in a very dark, macabre way to appreciate your life. And it's, I wish it could have been done in an easier way for some, but it's sometimes that shock value that, that truly helps. So guys, as always... I appreciate each and every single one of you for, of course, listening to me ramble on and, of course, allowing me to take time to uh, to do the research, you know, not hounding me uh, if I have a week off here and there because it just allows for just a much fuller, better podcast. As always, guys, say hi to me on Instagram, Twitter, reach out to me, say hi, whatever you want, tell me a cool film you saw or even just if you want to talk film, I'm always happy to. And um, as always, guys, if you're feeling really generous and happy, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, as this will always help the scare view um, bump up and be heard by the masses instead of the few. And of course, guys, keep calm, stay creepy.